Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the back row from what I watch tonight. My name is Matt Hudson, and this is episode two, episode two of Retrospectives. In these recurring shows, I'm going to be chatting about my favourite movies. No worry, it's not that indulgent. Alongside me is a guest who just so happens to love that movie too. So for tonight's episode, we're going to be diving into some true crime, a little bit of mystery, to discuss Zodiac from 2007. And along for the ride is the Queen of Ukraine, and also Alderaan, it's Rose. How you doing, Rose? Oh, I'm doing so great. I'm so excited to be here. I Our paths first crossed via my dealings with Star Wars sessions. And for those who don't know, and why don't you, it's my Star Wars podcast I host with my good buddy Luke. And it's probably definitely Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. And Rose was always one to provide discussion or critique in such a way that I found like, proper captivating. Always to the point, packed full of depth and personal feeling. It wasn't just a load of hogwash. There was always something relative to what Rose... Rose Phil. So we asked for her thoughts for one episode of the show a little while ago, and here we are now. So I know what you are going to get from Rose is damn good discussion. Oh, thanks. I'm so excited. This is definitely, yeah, new outside of Star Wars. So I'm excited to talk about some other cinematic things I love. That's true, because uh, you've been a... If it's not, you've been a little a bit, a bit of a regular on the Star Wars podcast scene in the last few months. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you managed to get, uh, obviously, on an episode of Star Wars Sessions Trivia... The Champion, uh, Steel Wars, I think Friends of the Force, I believe you're on as well. Yeah, that, yeah, it was. Yeah, did a book review for Alphabet Squadron with them and talked to them. So that was really cool too. Yeah, so if anybody wants Rose on the podcast, just hit her up. She'll do all of them because she's wonderful like that. And just just again, internationally, you are from you are calling from Ukraine, uh, which I find pretty cool. And just to let the listeners know, what is it you do day to day over there? I work with uh, foster families who have taken in orphans instead of sending children to orphanages. Uh, and officially in Ukraine, if a child is called an orphan, it doesn't not necessarily mean their parents have um, died, but it just means their parents don't have rights anymore. So they're wards of the state. Mm-hmm. So Ukrainian foster care is only about 10 years old, about 13 years old now. And so I've been helping since the very beginning with foster care in Ukraine. And so that's my, um, what I do every day is work with about 38 kids who are growing up in foster families here. And judging by the, the posts that Rose puts out on social, she does a bloody good job of it too. It sounds like such a satisfying job. And also the kids are uh, are learning about Star Wars. So I'm starting to think (laughs) Rose may be the greatest kind of um, carer there is. We love film, so it's awesome to get <laughs> yeah. to share yeah, pop culture with them and to share film. That's great. On film, let's talk Zodiac. First question. Any of, are your, I'm guessing your, the, your kids you look after, they're going to be too young to watch Zodiac, or have they seen it? Yeah, no, I would, <laughs> maybe the older teenagers, but yeah, not, not necessarily in our wheelhouse. We're more, yeah. I thought I'd better check. So uh, Zodiac, it's, um, it's nearly 12 years old now. It's almost a teenager directed by David Fincher, and it's, of course, based on the Zodiac Killer, and more specifically, the novel of the same name by Robert Graysmith. That's the name you're going to hear in a little bit. Uh, and the book basically sought to uncover the mystery of the killer. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Graysmith, who's a cartoonist. Robert Downey Jr. is Paul Avery, uh, a crime reporter. Mark Ruffalo as Inspector Dave Toshi, and also Chloe Savigny, Brian Cox, John Carroll Lynch, Dermot Mulroney, Elias Cotius, and Anthony Edwards. And let's get the boring bit out of the way first. The synopsis reads, 
If you haven't seen this film, the synopsis reads, In the late 1960s and 70s, fear grips the city of San Francisco as a serial killer known as Zodiac stalks its residents. Ooh. Investigators and reporters become obsessed, obsessed even, too many Zeds, with learning the killer's identity and bringing him to justice. Meanwhile, Zodiac claims victim after victim and taunts the, taunts the authorities with cryptic messages, ciphers and menacing phone calls. So as I mentioned, if you haven't seen this film, here is your warning. There will be spoilers for the movie throughout because we're going to be discussing specific moments from the movie. Bear that in mind. If you haven't seen the film, go and watch it. Two hours, 40 odd minutes later, come back and listen to myself and Rose because we're going to dive in. And this whole thing's basically going to be about what did we like about the film? We're just going to freestyle chat. What did we like? What did we love? And maybe at the end, a couple of things maybe didn't quite work for us. So again, admin, 84.8 million this made from a 65 million budget. Not the best return, but it was the 81st highest grossing film of 2007. So enough from me and my English tones. Rose, when did you first see Zodiac? I am guessing probably, I don't know what month it was released in 2007, but I saw it when it came out on DVD, so mm. probably 2008, I'm guessing. I don't remember when it came out in 2007. Um, I think I saw it, I think I may have seen it after you, a couple of years after, because I picked it up on DVD as well. Um, we are, Rose and myself are people who are the culprits of not giving this film a better box office, because we didn't go to see it in the cinema. I saw it in box office too from the comfort of my, from the DVD, sorry, from the comfort of my own home. Um, so it's been in our zeitgeist, in our cult, pop culture minds for at least a decade and a bit now. So we've had a little bit of time to stew on it. So let's just jump into it. What did we like about the film? Rose, tell me, what are some of the things you loved about this film? Ooh, this film was uh, kind of the perfect combination of things I love. Um, I myself uh, have a degree in journalism, that, mm -hmm. and the reason I studied, studied journalism was because of All the President's Men, which happens to be an influence of David Fincher's in this movie. Yes. <laughs> so that um, is kind of just, I love investigative journalism, um, and this movie hit that. Plus, you get the mystery of the, detect or the yeah, in San Francisco inspectors or detective story together so um and i just i love those types of stories simply because they're uh, fighting looking for the truth i guess seeking the truth and that's something as for me personally is something really important that um yeah so i i just love that aspect of it and that made it really exciting for me we well, mentioned the journalism side of it the the amount of work that fincher put into researching this was insane about a year and a half's worth of work fully researching the case including speaking to victims or obviously like ones who are still alive of the zodiac killer robert graysmith himself um and others who were involved in it so there's a hell of a lot of research put into this and that's one of the things which i think stands out the most for me how much effort has gone into recreating this film there are parts where it takes liberties paul avery's character wasn't quite as he was portrayed on screen in real life they've taken certain liberties there however it worked on screen i'll get to avery shortly but no, the, the amount of time it took to get into this shows how much Fincher really, really wanted this to be a great film. And uh, and on the journalism side of it, I love the fact how, despite it's based on a book, it's almost it felt to me when I watched it the first time, and I rewatched it um, in time of recording yesterday, it almost felt like Fincher was trying to solve the case, if that makes sense. Using the novel, it looked like they were actually trying to put a case forward to you know find out who the Zodiac was. And I do believe that the case was opened for a little while again after this film, but I don't, did you get that feeling or was it just me? 
No, definitely. Yeah. I think, yeah, that attention to detail and, and making it an exciting story. Cause I know a lot of this uh, film is a lot of exposition mm-hmm. or talking and there's not a whole lot of action set pieces or something like that. And even I was thinking about how, how um, I was watching the time as I was rewatching the movie yesterday and the, the murders happen in the first basically 26 minutes of the film <laughs> and then you have another uh, two hours and 20 minutes of film left. So you, you really took the time, yeah, to focus on what it takes to look into these cases and solve them and the toll it takes on the people who look into them. Yeah, I just, yeah, I love that part of it. It was like the Battle of the Five Armies, the Hobbit film, where all the good stuff happens in the first 10, 15 minutes in Lake Town. And then you think, <laughs> ah, we've still got another two hours and something to go. What on <laughs> earth are they going to fill this? The difference is Zodiac managed to fill its time. And I forgot how long it was as well, because when I, when I, I'm not going to lie, when I see a film which is kind of two, two hours, 30 minutes plus, I do think, ah, because either they've put too much in or it's going to be too drawn out. Or for me, Zodiac is it's just about right, I think. Uh, you could, I don't know, you might better cut a minute or two off here and there, but... I think it's just right. But yeah, certain things about a long run time can sometimes not put me off, but must make me think, oh no, I better go to the toilet beforehand. Yeah, I was shocked seeing how, the, yeah, the time, the length of the movie, just because I know I didn't remember it being that long and it never felt that long when I was watching it. And again, this time too, it didn't drag. So, like, I didn't feel like it was lasting that long. So I thought he did a great job of moving it along. Yeah, I mean, the, for the most part, the pacing is fine, especially in the first half. I think the first half of the film is, for me, the best um, half of the film. Yeah, I agree. Nothing wrong with the second half, because it takes a different angle, but that works as well. The first half is, like you mentioned, the, the murders. You don't see anything. Fincher doesn't show you anything. It's all implied. And uh, and I think I read somewhere that the reason Fincher didn't show the murders was because, funny enough, the people who were murdered are dead. So they can't testify to what happened. So why recreate something which you don't know um, the facts of? So basically, it was... He, he he showed you what he knew. But the first half is, yep, yeah, the murders. The Zodiac killer um, is plowing the police with letters. Um, and it's the it's uh, Drake Gyllenhaal's character, uh, Robert Graysmith. You've got Robert Downey Jr.'s Paul Avery. They are kind of working together whilst at arm's length to try and um, work out what's going on. Mark Ruffalo's Inspector Toshi comes in as well. And it's those three kind of not working with each other because they're almost against each other at times, but partly because of the chemistry that those actors have within the film. The first half of the film is great. Second half is more uh, Robert Graysmith going off on his own now to try and piece this together because for whatever reason, Avery's, Avery's now not working with the San Francisco Chronicle. Dave Toshi is not on the case anymore. And it's pretty much Robert Graysmith takes it upon himself uh, to his, at his family's expense to solve the crime. So the second half is, is, a, is a slower half. However, it still works for me. But I preferred the first half. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. And I do like the second half as um, it kind of shows how the more you spend your time on something that is so horrific or it starts to consume you and it becomes a part of you wanting to solve this and the, and the personal connection you make probably to the victims. And just, I liked how he showed that kind of evolving, I guess, of the relationship between, yeah, Robert and his wife and the family and how that affected them. But yeah, my favorite, most suspenseful scene was in the second half, uh, which would be the basement scene. Oh man. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> oh god, yeah. But I'll leave that one for you then. Describe, tell us all about that scene because I I'd forgotten about how intense that scene was. 
Yeah, I just I love the tension. He's so good. Even uh, when Avery goes to Riverside and I just like all these moments when you're worried about people. I think he does a great job with a story that, yeah, maybe doesn't have so much uh, action in it. It just does a great job. And yeah, going to this um, uh, oh, when Robert is following down a lead and he ends up in this guy's house and uh, start, and it has a basement. Yeah. <laughs> that's part one of the letters in the Zodiac had mentioned a basement and how rare they are in California. So that had been a big point for the police to look at. And so this is all going through Robert's mind as he's downstairs and you hear <laughs> creaking boards above him and he's like, is somebody else in the house? And yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen. And when he's, and when he's, he gets out the movie posters, doesn't he? Robert G- Graysmith gets out the movie posters and he starts showing, um, it's Charles Fleischer's character. He's called Bob Vaughn. He starts showing Bob and he's saying, look, you know, the, did, did Arthur Lee Allen or did anyone work with it? Can you tell us when this these particular films are shown at your Cineplex? Because we think that the guy who designed and drew and wrote these movie posters could be the Zodiac, basically because his handwriting is the closest match we've ever had. And he starts going off one. And then uh, Bob Vaughn basically says, <laughs> I, I wrote those posters. And it's he might as well have had like a slow zoom on Robert's face when he's thinking, <laughs> oh, sh- God, no. And then he, he did, and I, Charles Fleischer's face is—he looks like the sort of guy that you do not want to be stuck in the house with when he's just said that Zodiac Killer guy. I know, I might, I could actually be him. There, yeah, that bit was awesome. Oh man, yeah, and I love that too. Where throughout the film, you don't know who. There's different names that come up that you think, okay, yeah, that could be, and then yeah, the next guy that comes up, you think, okay, that could be <laughs> yeah, it too. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very true to life. Yeah, and because they mention, because uh, they never show the Zodiac Killer, obviously, because they still, <laughs> they still don't officially know who it is, despite, and this is like official, you know, crime people, those guys, investigators, that's that's them. They don't actually know who it is, obviously they like to think they know who it is, but there's never been official word on it. So we never actually see the Zodiac Killer's face, he's always obscured in the shadows, or you see him from a distance. And um, yeah, and obviously there's Arthur Lee Allen, who's played by John Carroll Lynch. Now, the first time I saw him on screen, I remember thinking, right, you're the bad guy because John Carroll Lynch usually plays those kind of characters. So I was like, right, there's a spoiler within itself. John Carroll Lynch has shown up. But his character is appears, he's mentioned a few times in the film, and then he's interviewed by Toshi at his work. And then he kind of, and then he's kind of said, you know, he's he's not him. The handprints don't match, and the fingerprints and the handwriting doesn't match. It, he's not your guy, so we forget about him. And then he's brought up again later on. And like you mentioned, that is a the way that Fincher did that to kind of make you forget about Arthur Lee Allen. Then bring this new guy in, like at the end, um, Charles Fleischer's character, only for then to revert back to Arthur Lee Allen was great. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, what, I'm trying to think of the other scenes. I like um, when the lady at the side of the road. She's being flashed by the guy behind her, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, has the baby in the car." That's oh, it. Man. Your, your tie is a bit loose. Do you want me to uh, tighten oh, up? Just... He does it. The tire falls off. Do you want? Shall I give you a lift? She says, "Yeah, if you wouldn't mind." She gets her baby, and he's like, "I didn't know you had a baby." They're driving up for a few miles down the road. And he just looks at her in this awful voice, and says, "Before I kill you, I'm going to throw your baby out the window." And it's so creepy the way he says that. Oh, yeah, and you just knew that she, and you watch her face and her realization, because she was already her, the hair on the back of her neck was already standing yeah. up. It just, yeah, just watching it in slow motion, basically, it feels awful. And, and even a, a bit after that, where she's 
because yeah, she jumps out of the car basically with her baby. And she hides her baby in like a in a ditch basically, and passes by stop her, and she's absolutely just gone. She's distraught. She's traumatized, and I thought that was a really powerful scene as well. Yeah, I didn't. I thought maybe the baby was dead. I didn't. Yeah, know I know. Yeah, I was definitely. It, you could just feel the terror. It was just yeah. He was a master, masterful moment. Oh, um, what about what about some of your other fun uh, best moments? I was thinking of when they first go to interview um, Alan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Arthur Lee Allen, and I love yeah that scene. He watching it now, realizing kind of the where the movie's going. I definitely noticed new things and how he's playing it and the arrogance that he has toying with them. And I really, I love that performance he gives there. Yeah. And the little things like where they show he's got a Zodiac watch on and they're looking at his feet to see if they could potentially be the size 10 um, Navy or army um, issue boots. They were, I loved, I loved that scene. And I mean, how many more? I mean, when Melvin Bally, Melvin Bally's in the studio and he gets a phone call from the Zodiac killer and he's saying, I'm sick of the headaches and he gives off this like really awful scream um, and then we find out that that wasn't actually the Zodiac killer. But I love that because at the time you're watching it, you don't know that it isn't the Zodiac killer and it's creepy to think that, you know, in the in the 70s, you could sit on a talk show and have somebody like that phone in. Yeah, yeah. Now, is it, this movie, it really does examine too the role of that media and uh no kind of the the relationship media and the police have in these kind of cases and how oftentimes killers are looking for the notoriety that's provided to them and so it's it's an interesting look at journalism but also broadcast news and the business of like um i guess reporting on this sort of thing that's a really good point uh, the way you put that um as a journalist yourself would you would would this be the kind of thing you'd love to do you know, going in and out of the police headquarters, get this kind of stuff and getting sort of knee deep in all this kind of uh, awful um, crime work? Ooh, crime reporting? I don't think, I think it would wear on me. I think, yeah, just seeing humanity at its worst every day would be really tough. Yeah, that's fair enough. I suppose you'd have, I suppose going outside of your front door is a little, isn't quite as bad as some of the things that these people do. I mean, I loved all, that's, that's why I kind of preferred the first half because it's it's really fast paced, me clicking my fingers. We almost like the news world itself, you know, the rush to get the the um the news out. Everyone's everyone's running, and you know, people is moving at a fast pace. Literally, people are. And then in the second half, it's a lot slower. It's a lot more pedestrian. But yeah, the first half you get to see a lot more of behind the scenes of the San Francisco Chronicle, where Paul Avery is involved. And I love the way that they recreate the setting so well as well. I mean, this film covers twenty two years from the first attack that is shown to the very end when um, the first victim to survive, uh, Mike Majot, identifies Arthur Lee Allen. It's 22 years, and I love the way they they managed to cover such a long uh, span of time without really ever feeling like they do. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too because I, I was trying to think of examples of where I do notice it, but there are other movies I, I've recognised that the time is passing and it kind of drags but here, I liked how they didn't always put a date within a year. They just said a year and a half later or yeah, three yeah. months later. And you just, you always knew it was in the future, but you didn't know how long. And it was kind of a timeless story that way. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'd see like the fashion and the hairstyles would change. But I mean, they're little things. But, but yeah, I, I really liked how they didn't feel too too gratuitous. Uh, you mentioned that the murders in the first 26 minutes. And what do you think about those? Real question to ask. Well, did you like those murders? But how did you think they yeah, were Yeah, no, I, I thought he did a great job of not glorifying them. It wasn't about 
Um, I just, yeah, I didn't feel like he spent a whole lot of time on it. That wasn't the focus of the movie. And I thought he did a really good job of getting, just kind of like getting the point across what happened and then moving on from that about the after effects of it. That's a great strategy. The, the film never actually tries to glorify the Zodiac Killer at any point, which is which I appreciate that as well because I love me a good true crime film. I love these kind of mystery films, but sometimes certain films do try to sort of glorify the the killers uh, to try and make them out to be something that they're not. I was worried that um, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile would do that about uh, Ted Bundy this year. It didn't, thankfully, but there are some that do. So I'm glad that Fincher didn't do that, and I think Fincher's too. Fincher's, you know, he's he's too twitched on to do something like that. I'm a. Are you a fan of Fincher's work at all? Yeah, it was funny because before today, or well, the last couple of days when I was looking into the movie a little bit more, I didn't realize who had directed. I was like, who directed this movie? So I looked it up and I was like, oh, this is the same guy that did a lot of movies I like, like Seven and um, Panic Room. So I was just like, okay, yeah, I know who this guy is and Fight Club and um, Social Network. So. And then I, I had heard, too, that he had been involved with um, Mindhunter, which is a new Netflix show. Um, it's a, it's in his second season now, but that's about the FBI and, um, I guess, serial killers, too, coming to the term, how they came up with the term serial killer, the first people in the FBI that really came up with that term. Mm-hmm. So it's just really, I can tell he's got an interest in this sort of thing. And then when I saw his behind-the-scenes documentary of this film, he was saying that he's from the Bay Area, and he was a kid when this was going on. So it was very much a part of his life and the fear that their family had when this news came on that they were gonna sh- or this guy was going to shoot out a school bus of kids. So it was just, yeah, it was really interesting how his own personal life kind of shown, uh, showed through this as well. I never knew that part, that he was from the area. So that kind of makes more what well, makes more sense for him to want to tackle this film. So he lived, so he was in the area whilst the Zodiac was active. Yeah, yes, Ooh. yeah, right outside of San Francisco. And so when, um, I forget what happened. Oh, there was a police car following his bus home from school. And when he got home, he asked his dad, what, why was there police cars following them? This uh, California Highway Patrol. And he said, oh, there's a the dad turned around real matterly, matter of fact, dry. Oh, a guy said he's going to shoot out the tires of a bus and kill the kids <laughs> as they get off. And so he said at that moment, he wasn't real sure how much his dad, how qualified his dad was if he sent him to school on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And they picked that up in the film as well. Robert Gray Smith, his, his son was about to go on a school bus and he's, he was in the room when this threat was read out and he's like, no, you're coming with me. I'm driving you to school now. So they do pick up on that. But I mean, Fincher deviating somewhat, but Fincher's filmography is f- extremely, extremely good. I mean, you mentioned Seven. I love Seven. I think Seven is fabulous. It's it's another film which I'm sure is going to be covered on retrospectives at some point because I love that film. Fight Club. Panic Room is the one I always forget about, to be honest. I always forget that he did that. Uh, Benjamin Button, that's the one I think... Uh, I like Benjamin Button, but I don't love it. Social Network's great. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo's very good. And the Girl in the Spiderweb from last year, how bad that was, showed how good Fincher was with the dragon <laughs> tattoo. And Gongo's magnificent yeah. as well. He had he did Alien 3 at the very start of his career, and that came with a lot of controversy. The Fincher cut of that film is better than the final cut, the theatrical cut of that film, but uh, that film almost put him off making films ever again. So I'm so glad that he didn't, because we're, we end up with a film like Zodiac. And do you reckon, do you think Zodiac is... Uh, not underappreciated, but underrated. Would you? Do you reckon that, or is that just me? 
Uh, the movie or the actual killer? Oh, yeah, yeah. How do you think he stacks up against those other serial killers? No, um, as a film, the film, because I know that the film is, you know, yeah. is received well, but you don't really hear many people talking about it. No, yeah, I think it did. Uh, it is kind of one of those quieter ones that gets recognized as being a really well-made, put-together film, but yeah, isn't real in the popular... I guess Zeitgeist of 2007, you talk about, I saw a list of movies from 2007. I don't remember it being listed on there as no. like just the top 10 or whatever. So yeah. In terms of serial killers, do you think he's one of the good ones? <laughs> uh... Oh man, he's terrifying. I think it's scary. Like when you don't actually know what, like you don't have a definitive answer. That's always scary. I, the one the redeeming grace of this story is that whoever it was is dead just by the, the, the de facto age, probably. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were older. So at least that makes me feel a little better. Yeah, and I found it interesting that when they were going to call Arthur, Arthur Lee Allen in to basically charge him, he had a heart attack just before. And obviously you can't plan that. So it's not like he just thought, oh, activate heart attack now. But it's, <laughs> it's little things like that, which are just kind of like, it's obviously, it's a whether he was the killer or not, it's still obviously a tragic thing to happen. Somebody's passed away. But it's kind of one of those wild what-ifs. If he hadn't have had that happen to him, could we have potentially got the, the answer we needed? Because this film ends on the idea that Arthur Lee, Arthur Lee Allen is the Zodiac Killer. And I must stress again, it's based on Robert Graysmith's book. So this is Robert Graysmith's findings that he that he, he he investigated for a long time. So it's not David Fincher's findings, but the film does kind of give off the impression that Arthur Lee Allen did it all. So we were, we were that close to getting an answer, possibly. Oh, before his heart attack? Yeah, I mean, they were going to call him in to, to, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, to charge yeah. him, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it just um, and I was looking at Wikipedia just about the Zodiac Killer, not the film, but just looking at what kind of the investigation and how um, there are a few names that have interesting stories behind them and people who knew some of the the, the first um, young people that were murdered um, mm-hmm. that they were went to school with them. So it's just there's a lot of interesting threads and uh, you yeah you'll wonder who knew like yeah who it really was and what was really happening. Yeah, as much as you don't want to glorify these kind of people, it is it, 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 the the notoriety they've now gained because they'll forever now be unidentified. So this case will live on forever. There'll people people will be talking about these cases for a long time after I've gone as well. Hopefully, they'll be talking about this film as well. But back to the film. I mean, there was there was a scene at the end. Speaking about Arthur Lee Allen, which I thought was fabulous, very subtle. Was not subtle, but you know, very quiet scene. But it's when Robert Graysmith. He goes to see Arthur Lee Allen at his workplace, and on the on his name badge it says Lee, which is what a lot of the people who tried to pin Arthur Lee Allen to the crimes called him. They all called him Lee, and Robert Graysmith beforehand said he wants to be able to look into the eyes of the Zodiac Killer and know that it was him. So to get some kind of payoff on that, it's only a short scene. He goes into this um, hardware store and he just looks at Arthur Lee Allen dead in the eyes. And he's staring him back and he kind of says, can I help you? And he's like, you're good. And he walks out and it's kind of like his cathartic way of uh, you know, uh, solving the case within his own mind. I loved that scene. Yeah, and I, I remember now too when David Fincher was talking about this, how as a child and as a... Um, yeah, it was like this story became kind of a legend because there was never any definitive answer and people made him into this bigger than life story so like the boogeyman for example he was saying that one of his goals was to unmask the boogeyman and just make it clear that this killer is just a normal just a man 
in the end and you don't have to be like let him have the power over you to give you that fear and to take away your humanity in that way no yeah and a lot of these guys are you know they're, they're sort of lo- held up in this lofty status when in the end of the day they're just flesh and blood they're human beings you know whatever may be going on in their minds but they are not celebrities and i'm glad that this film didn't try to make that of it so what about um before we move on to any kind of performances were there any other scenes which you just every time you see you just think yes i mean there were some humorous moments too like the guy that does the coffee in the um the newspaper room (laughs) (laughs) there's some funny moments in the movie yeah i like how yeah just i I appreciate that whenever there's humor and even a heavy film subject when you can kind of let out some of your stress as you're watching and the the animal cracker joke which kept going through the film oh yes that was great and um and the when when um avery and graysmith finally go for a drink together they get this aqua velva cocktail which i found out has got gin vodka lemon lime and blue curacao in it and um paul avery i think he kind of sees himself as a kind of you know that kind of cocksure macho guy you know i can drink anything and i'm fine and robert graysmith says you know because he because it's this big blue sort of like bombastic cocktail and Paul Avery's like, what the hell is that? And he said, well, yeah. <laughs> if you tried it, you wouldn't laugh. And the next scene is them basically head down on the table, slurring their words. And it's a, again, like, yeah, it's true. Those funny little moments are what help. The levity helps because it is otherwise quite a funny film. And it's something that Seven didn't have. It didn't have those moments of levity, really. No, that's true. <laughs> Whether it needed it or not, it's a different story. But um, fun fact as well, Inspector Toshi, Mark Ruffalo's character, George Lucas named Toshi Station. In a New Hope, after the real life Dave Toshi. That's crazy. That guy is like he is so famous. He's the inspiration for a lot of yeah, things. I was going to go to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters, but uh, apparently George Lucas believed that he'd been harshly treated. So uh, word has it that he named Toshi Station as a kind of like you know way of saying you know I'm I'm here for your brother. So uh, I, I mentioned that as you are a massive Star Wars head as well. So there you go. Next time you hear Toshi Station, you can think of Mark Ruffalo. Oh, that's crazy. Did you did you also see that he was the inspiration for the 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 way the gun was worn in Bullet, the movie Bullet, and also Dirty Harry is based on him? I no, I didn't know that, and I love that. Yeah, film. yeah, this guy is like crazy popular. I guess <laughs> I'm not sure how he became so popular, but yeah, I guess maybe when they were studying for Bullet, looking at the San Francisco Police Department, they noticed him in the and they decided to style Bullet after him with the shoulder holster for the gun. I wish I was as cool as Dave Toshi. <laughs> to be honest, he sounds like a right cool dude. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, we have, we've mentioned all these characters. We've mentioned Gillenhall, Downey Jr., Ruffalo, Savini, everybody else. Just, should we talk about the performances? Did What stood out for you about some of these performances? Oh, man. Like, I, I really loved Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in this. Just like I said, especially in the second half when it really he becomes the center of the story at that point kind of takes over after the police and the journalists have all moved on from the story because it just hasn't gone anywhere for years. Um, I really liked. Uh, yeah, just showing that again, his doggedness and then how it was affecting him personally. I thought that was a great performance. And yeah, uh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. also really well, and just I think it affected him as he got letters. Paul Avery was receiving death threats at the newspaper, and you could see his downward smile <laughs> as well. So just you just yeah, you feel for these people who these these aren't just it's not just a job. It actually it really does affect them. Yeah, I thought I thought Robert Downey Jr. was magnificent as Paul Avery. I really did. he looks like he's just playing himself. 
is Robert Downey Jr. playing himself in this film or just a kind of like slightly less pimped out Tony Stark? And <laughs> let, 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 let's get it out there already. We've got Mysterio, you've got Iron Man and you've got the Incredible Hulk all in the same film together. I thought that was the best uh, advertisement for this film for younger yeah. people who maybe haven't seen it. Uh, definitely, if you love Marvel MCU, you should watch this movie because a lot of your favorites are in exactly. it. Exactly. These guys aren't just superheroes. They're also crime reporters, cartoonists, and inspectors as well. So, um, <laughs> but no, I thought you know, I thought um, Robert Downey Jr. was great. And yeah, in, in the film, of course, he spirals into alcoholism and health issues. Uh, in real life, he was a family man. He had a couple of kids and a wife and actually went on to write books. So that was that was a liberty taken by David Fincher. Um, okay. I guess I'm not. I, I this is partly one of the parts I'm trying to think now. Would it have made a big difference if they'd made Paul Avery somebody who wasn't quite a screw up? Do you think would it have made such a difference? I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think so. I. I kind of like how that he decided to do it just again to drive home that point of just how this case affected the people whose lives it touched. That must, that's fair enough and it does play into Robert Graysmith's character obviously because he, he goes to meet him uh, years later to try and get something from him and he basically just tells him to sod off basically uh, so you do get to see that kind of it changes the way Graysmith approaches things as well and Mark Ruffalo let's not forget Mark Ruffalo I thought he was really really good because whereas the first half of the story is Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr their double act the second half is Gyllenhaal and uh, Mark Ruffalo's double act and how they work together is really good. And I think Ruffalo it, it can also be an underrated actor as well because he's been in some very good things, but I don't often hear him mentioned that much when it comes to, you know, decent actors. Yeah, I really, I did love his performance in this. I thought it was one of his best, best ones. I really did. Yeah, and of course, obviously, most people would have seen him in The Hulk, but he was great in something like Spotlight, which won uh, Best Picture uh, four years ago, movies, yes. And again, yeah, another journalism movie. Of course, you'd know all about that. So, but yeah, I, I thought the performances were great. I thought Chloe Sevigny was very good. I thought Brian Cox was very good uh, as um, oh the oh, I can't think of his name now. The it will come to me in a minute. Um, and John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch has this kind of unnerving uh, presence yeah. to him. It's something I wouldn't. I'm sure he's a really great guy, but he's but. He looks like the kind of guy that when he flicks a switch, he's quite chilling to watch. Yeah, hundred percent. I just yeah, the small, minute things he does with his look, or yeah, even just yeah, moments you just feel his performance come through the screen. Yeah, um, and he was in a film called The Invitation a few years back, which is on Netflix, I believe, and he pretty much the same. There, as the film goes on, suddenly the door knocks. And you know something. It's basically there's an atmosphere already. The door knocks, and suddenly John Carroll Lynch turns up at the door, and that's when you think, right, here's the bad guy. But then he was also in the founder with Michael Keaton about um, Ray Kroc and how McDonald's was founded, and he was great in that. And he wasn't scary. He was the complete opposite, and I thought he was excellent in that. Was he one of the brothers in that? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved. Did you see that film? Yes, that was a great movie as well. I loved that. But in that, he's kind of he's not even the. If I, he's not he's not even the brother who stands up for the fa- the company. He's kind of like the, well, okay, well, we'll do whatever we must and whatever's <laughs> easiest. Kind. It's a real change. Yeah, and I like, and I kind of use that in this, 
way where he doesn't look scary. He's just kind of, yeah, just a normal looking guy. But yeah, he definitely brings it when he needs to. I love that. Yeah, he's a, and he's a big dude as well. So he's got that physical presence as well. I also liked how, I mean, Finch has got a great knack of making locations look really dirty and grungy and grimy. Obviously the settings themselves, but also the cinematography and the way that it's, the lighting. Like when we go into um, Arthur Lee Allen's trailer, it looks so dirty. And even the kind of... Everything just looks a bit grubby. And that was obviously Seven was very good at that. But I think it's an aesthetic that Fincher captures really well. The kind of like dirtier side of the world. Yeah, like, and it made it feel very real. Not a super polished. It just felt like a true story we were watching. Yeah, and, and that's what I want from a film like this. Is If they're going to... If they're going to adapt this book or this real life event... Make it feel like real life and don't just give everybody sideburns and funky 70s clothes. You know, give us that aesthetic and don't give us like a, a sunshine and happy-go-lucky movie. You know, make us make the environment feel like the story. And Fincher does that so well. And I mean, he even tried it in, in Alien 3 way back when in 92, 93, whenever it was. Even then, his visual stylings all over that film. Um, but again, not the best film in the world. But he's he's got a he's got a great um stylistic view of it and a soundtrack. I love the soundtrack to this as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it pulls back the same thing that time period just pulls it up. Yeah, you got Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan. I'm telling you, that's been stuck in my head all day. Hurdy Gurdy Man. Um Inner City Blues by Marvin Gaye, my favourite artist was on as well, so that made me happy when I realised that was in the film. Yeah, it definitely, I thought the soundtrack was great. And just the score, like the right moments for tension to just, yeah, perfect. Uh, it was like, go back to the basement scene again, just oh. the right moments to strike fear in your heart. Atmosphere, I think that's the word. The atmosphere is palpable in the whole film, I think. Yeah, definitely. Even when even when nothing's really happening, there's this kind of underlying fear that actually there is something happening. Something's going on in the background. And again, Fincher is really good at doing that. He's kind of got a um, William Friedkin vibe, one of my favourite directors, where seemingly innocuous scenes have got this cloud hanging over them where you know that something's happening, but you don't know what and you don't know where. And that basement scene, the more I think about it, it it should be the most obvious one in the the film when you think of like scary scenes. Oh, guy goes into a guy's house. He says he, he, he comes across as the killer. He invites him into the basement. When you say it, it sounds a bit, uh, but the way it's, uh, what's that word we use? Executed is oh, yes. magnificent. <laughs> it's so well done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just, especially not knowing the story of the first time going in and what was going to happen. Uh, yeah, I just didn't know if he was going to end up meeting somebody he didn't want to meet upstairs. It just, yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, like Avery goes, you mentioned Avery goes to Riverside to meet a an unknown, an, uh, an anonymous tip. And and the first time you're watching it, if you don't know the story, you're kind of thinking, well, that was stupid. Well, you're going to go and meet somebody in the dark who you don't know who's going to tell you about the Zodiac Killer whilst you're a marked man. Good idea. It, it The way they play that out is so good as well. When um, Graysmith is in the diner on his first date with Chloe Sevigny's yeah. character, who becomes his wife, and he's telling him, oh, he's gone to see this unknown guy in the dark. And she's like, isn't that a bit stupid? And that's when it starts. <laughs> that's when you start to think, oh, no. It's really well done. Definitely, yeah, and you, yeah, you just see once you're somebody who's so involved and so close to it may not see it until like a, an outsider kind of gives you a better picture of what you're looking yes. at. Yes, 
I know. And so, uh, what else have you got then? Because uh, what is it which makes you just so pleased that this film exists? Yeah, I was just thinking about what is it that we just love true crime stories, and it reminded me of how popular soon after this film, like five years later, just the explosion of podcasts and true crime mm. podcasts, and it's just this thing that exists still. It's always been something people love to think about or consider. Silence of the Lambs, you just whatever. Oh. It seems like every period of time, people love true crime stories, and I was thinking about why is that? Is it because we're fascinated with murder? But I don't think so. I think it's more taking a little bit of control back from these senseless acts of violence, where you want to have some kind of understanding of finding sense in them and what's going on. So one way to do that is to think about kind of question who, what happened, who was it, and can we figure it out? Yeah, and at the risk of sound like a hypocrite, some of it is also the allure of the people doing them, especially like Zodiac, where you don't know who it is. So you're kind of watching these things unravel in the knowledge that nobody knows who it is. So it's kind of got that allure to it, not celebrity, but an allure. But no, I don't know why true crime is so exciting, because... Obviously, when the, if there's a true crime documentary on television and I'm not watching anything, it's going straight on. I don't know why. There's something about it. Like I say, the investigation and the the methods used to try and unravel who this guy or girl could be that does it. Uh, the killer themselves. Why did they do it? What was it about the victims? I don't know why true crime is so fascinating. But you mentioned the podcast, true crime podcasts. They're some of the most popular ones out there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you re- do you listen to any? No, again, um, I have to, I already, yeah, I have enough sorrow in my life <laughs> working with kids that have been abandoned. So just for me, it's like, uh, I don't need to pile on any more of that. I hear that. And you have to put up with myself and Luke's voice every week as well. So I, I fully <laughs> understand that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mentioned seven, but true, uh, tr- and there are, are other true crime copycat and things of like that films out there. I don't know what it is, but they're so engaging so yeah that's a great point yeah it definitely makes us examine humanity and what humans are willing to do to each other and then the kind of good versus evil those who are willing to stand up and try to to find justice for those who don't have a voice anymore who are have been murdered or can't speak for themselves yeah Uh, and it's that which kind of made me think about the film that if this wasn't a if this wasn't based on a memoir or a novel the idea that a cartoonist would be telling the police how to do their job would have struck me as slightly odd if that had been an original concept i would have thought that that would just would not have happened but because it's in, because it was in the story and that's how it happened thankfully i can i can accept that so yeah um otherwise yeah normal people are normal everyday people rising up is story i love to see um i mean there's there was a couple of fun facts i found about this film as well little things like blood was digitally added into the scenes because david fincher thought if i use actual blood then I'm going to have, every time we have to do a take, we're going to have to clean, clean the clothes, clean the set, clean the location, and then we have to wait for them to, uh, wait to redo the scene. So they digitally added the blood into the scenes. I say I found out, I literally found out this morning. When I watched a film yesterday and subsequently before that, I never noticed that the blood was CGI. I never noticed it. Did, did, did it, did, now knowing that, can you look back and think, oh yeah, it looked awful? No, not at all. I, I was actually surprised when you just said that because I was thinking there's an example of CGI I've done very well yeah. because I never noticed it. I, I never knew it. I mean, Brad, Brad Pitt, Orlando Bloom, they could have been our stars. Brad Pitt was up for the role of uh, Paul Avery and Orlando Bloom could have been our Robert Graysmith. So obviously Brad Pitt was a seven connection and Benjamin Button as well. Orlando Bloom as well in 2007 
was obviously coming off Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean. So I think I, I listen. I love Brad Pitt in every way possible. He's a handsome dude, and man, that guy can act. Just go watch Ad Astra this weekend. If you didn't like the film, the guy is incredible in it. I still think I prefer. Obviously, in hindsight, it's easy to say without knowing the full story. But I think I prefer having Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal because they they look their respective like personalities bleed into their characters, and I think it works. Especially in the case of Robert Downey Jr., I think he he works in that Paul Avery role because I can buy him in that role. I'm as for Brad Pitt, I buy him as uh, Mills in in Seven. I could buy him in that as the young up and coming hotshot cop. How I would have bought him as the brash reporter, I don't know. But Pitt and Bloom, would you have rather seen them? No, I think they got this one right as well. I just thinking of the kind of the the jaded Avery, how he comes. Just it feels like he's been in uh, reporting for a long time, and he, uh, being a veteran of Vietnam. I was just reading about his biography before too, and so I just I feel like they got the right actor for this one. Yeah, because obviously Tony Stark's been in a lot of. Oh no, sorry, Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark are different people. But you'd be forgiven for thinking that. Yeah, I think the I think the the cast is spot on. The only thing they got wrong about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character was. His hands weren't hairy enough. Oh, okay. Well, that I did not know. <laughs> and I say that because, again, Fincher, after in, in post-production, actually digitally added hair to Jake Gyllenhaal's hands because he thought his hands were too pretty in the close-up. So he basically made his hands look more rugged. So there you go. The, what, the magic of cinema. Man, what attention to detail. Mm. <laughs> I love it. It makes me want to go back now and have a look at his hands to see if I can notice. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, after this show, guys, go back, rewatch Zodiac, and try and check out Jake Gyllenhaal's hands and see if you can tell which hairs are real and which ones aren't. And if you can, let us know. Well, there, before we move on to any anything which we maybe think didn't work, though that might be quite a small section. What else? Or was there anything else in general about the film? Whether that was the tone, the performance, the vibe? Was there anything else that you just you want to shout out before we move on? No, I think we covered everything. I mean, I love the front cover. I love some of the shots. Some of the shots are quite Hitchcocky in and old school as well. There's an awful, it's a beautifully, it's a really well made, like you said earlier on, it's a really well made film. The attention to detail is magnificent. Now, this might be a short section or it might not do. Was there anything that you that didn't really work for you or you wasn't quite up to the standards of certain other things in the film? I can't. I, um, I'm trying to think. Nothing really came to mind when you first mentioned it. Just um, what were you? What were you thinking? Exactly. Not an awful lot, and I don't mean to sound like a. <laughs> I know. I don't want to cheat, but I was like, maybe you'll come <laughs> up with something, and I can like bounce oh, yeah, off okay, the other maybe. person. <laughs> yeah, that old trick. Now, I I don't want to sound like a bl- a blind blind fanboy, but not an awful lot. I mean, just like I mentioned, the second half slows up slightly more, but it's still like ridiculously tense and magnetic to watch because some of the scenes in that second half like uh, the first meeting with between Toshi and uh, Arthur Lee Allen at his workplace the basement or the, 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 the that whole scene leading up to the basement scene um, the the moment at the end when Toshi and Graysmith are having breakfast and basically Robert Graysmith is t- telling relaying it all out for Toshi I've worked everything out basically it's Allen some of the best moments are in that final so that second half but it is a lot slower compared to the more kind of in your face first half. Um, I'm a tr- I, there's nothing that really jumps out as bad. 
Do you know what I mean? I, I think. Yeah, and even, like, yeah, I don't want to, like, I feel like I have to defend it or anything, but just like, even with the second part being slower, I still feel like it's a big, you're still, it's exciting if you're into the crime story. So, which is what the movie is. So I, it kind of feels like, I don't know how you could fit, I don't know how you could change anything and not lose what it, the movie is supposed to be doing and what it is. So I feel like they did a great job of what they wanted to do with it. I, I fully agree. One of the complaints I hear from other people are, especially because, there's always going to be that comparison with a film like Seven, for example, because of the director and because of the aesthetic. But a lot of people say, oh, not enough happened. There wasn't enough action or anything. There wasn't enough kind of big moments in the film. What do you say to that? Yeah, that one, I would, there, there I would say that's a different style of film, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, Seven is not a true story, correct? That is just a... Yeah, it's just a bloody good original. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. So... I think that is way more focused on the killer and kind of played a cat. This is more of a cat and mouse, I would say, game or a film where you have, yeah, them trying to follow this killer and you're watching them the whole time with it. Whereas here, it's more of a slow burn on the the crimes or the solving of the case side and that kind of the fascinating process and the, the, the personal toll it takes on those people. And I find it more... I don't know, more that true to life, you feel that, versus a, a more like an action film or a thriller, I guess that would be the what that category of seven would be under. Yeah, I don't see that adding more action or showing the grisly murders in greater detail would have added more to the film. Because let's not forget the Lakeside murder at the beginning of the film when um, the Zodiac Killer comes out in his what, gimp outfit, strange outfit he's wearing, uh, to the teens who are, you know, um, fl- having a good time at the lake ties them up and then stabs them and it's not like you don't see the knife going in and out of the bodies enough time so there isn't that i mean that's just one and the scene before that when um the the two teenagers are in their car and she drives the guy to the overlook or whatever it is dark overlook and then they get shot several times and again it's not like you don't see these moments happening yeah i thought he did a good job not being gratuitous but yet showing the horrificness of it i thought that was a really great balance he struck yeah and the and the scene where the guys are getting stabbed is awful not i don't mean like execution wise think but the way that they actually like the sound effects and the way that they close up on the people's faces that's happening are oh it makes me not want to go to a lake for a long time (laughs) seriously no i know i'm not into getting stabbed but um no i think there was there was but like i say because all of that happened in the first 26 minutes or so of the film plus the cabbie gets shot in the back of the head and again you see him get shot in the head then Maybe, I don't want to speak for other people because some people just generally don't like the film, which is absolutely fine. But maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's because it kind of dropped its load in the first 30 minutes and then after that it's it's kind of playing catch-up to some people. I liked how it basically went balls to the wall to start with and then changed its direction, even in the newsroom scenes. It's all about the characters and all about deciphering the code rather than try it rather than being gratuitous in the meantime that was done first and then it was all about the characters and i appreciated that quite a lot yeah and that makes me remind me of the code we didn't even talk about that just i love the scene well, where there's just a, a the husband code. and wife and they're uh they get the they open up the paper and there's this code and they're like hey you want to try to take a crack at this and they <laughs> totally solve it it's awesome but yeah just citizens but i just yeah that that was really interesting and just to kind of see the way brilliant minds work and uh, someone who's dedicated to something and how they can really study into it. I think that's always fascinating. I forgot all about, well, I haven't forgotten about the code, but yeah, to even mention it, I get even, even the introductory credits when it says, you know, casting by or directed by or starring, 
the names dissolve into like the cipher and the code. It's really well done. And the guy who did the opening credit for Seven did the same for this film. Really well done. But yeah, the code. I I, I remember looking at the code when it came up on screen, the cipher, thinking, how the bloody hell do you work any of that out? <laughs> but they kind of explain it quite in quite a fairly like simple terms, actually, in that you just look for recurring characters and how you find them. But yeah, the, the, I, I love that little scene and um, and how people like Avery look at it as if like, I have no idea how to do this. And Robert Graysmith goes to the library, which is another joke, goes to the library, gets out loads of books and basically trumps his apparently more experienced colleague simply by getting facts and getting evidence. I I love those scenes. Yeah, definitely. I love it. The Wonder Kid. Yeah. Yeah, And and he's just kind of thrown out as a cartoonist. Haven't you got cartoons to go and draw? Uh, and and Avery's always saying, you know, this, remember what the L word is? Looming. You're looming at my desk. Get away from my desk. And he's kind of treated as if, like he's a kid, basically. He's treated like a kid. And by the end of the film, Graysmith is, you know, potentially could be seen as the hero almost. Yeah, he's definitely spent the most time with the kids. I mean, continuously, I, I would say probably at that point. I think a lot of the other guys had moved on and have to. And that's just another fact of these jobs, I think. They're just inundated with so much murder and so many crimes. You can't always just focus on one. That's true. And I think, I think uh, Ruffalo's character, Toshi, says that. You know, how many people have been murdered since then? Like hundreds. And yeah, he got... And and um, Dave Toshi was... Uh, he was accused of actually faking a Zodiac letter years later. like four, During the, during the um, investigation, I think it had been like four years had passed since the last letter... Another one came in, which highlighted Toshi himself. He was actually accused of writing, faking that letter, and he lost his job well, on the case because of it. He dropped from the case, so that affected him as well. So, obviously, Paul Avery turned to booze because of it, because of this. Dave Toshi lost his position in the, on the case, whereas, and yeah, it kind of left the path, the path open for Robert Graysmith. And I, I loved how you said as well, how this affected people personally. They really dove into the personal stories of this. And they and you can't you kind of not so much with well Paul Avery they didn't show his family at all. Dave Toshi, you can't you don't really see how it affects his wife apart from one scene towards the end, but they do a really good at showing how it affects Robert Graysmith's family. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that just that personal connection to the characters and kind of giving more of that feeling of knowing them a little bit more in depth, more character development for him. Yeah, and Chloe Savigny is a great actress. You don't underuse her like they did in The Dead Don't Die this year, but that's another story. Uh, so, uh, so okay, yeah, there wasn't really an awful lot we didn't like. We're trying not to sound like just, you know, rose-tinted lover, pun, rose-tinted lovers here, but <laughs> there wasn't an awful lot not to like about the film. I can see certain people's arguments that maybe it was too slow. There wasn't enough action. That's just horses for courses. That's personal taste. But for me, I think it was fantastic. And I guess now we can kind of move into this film. Do you think it's left any kind of legacy? I've mentioned that I don't think enough people talk about it. Do you think there's any kind of legacy this film's left or any kind of blueprint? I think just afterward, knowing that a lot of people got interested. I know I remember in 2008 or nine when I saw this originally that I got on the internet immediately after because I wanted to know everything else I could about it and just that hunger for more information and so I can definitely see this as being one of those things that is a good way to 
don't know. I think it, yeah, it kind of reminds people of there are cold cases out there or famous things that never get solved. And yeah, I don't know. It takes me back to those true true crime podcasts, like the Black Dahlia murders, whatever it is, people are still interested in these things. And, um, and also, yeah, just now, I don't know, looking at the careers of the people that are in it. I mean, it's a stellar cast. It's just amazing. So just, I, I love seeing, going back and looking at them before and seeing them now. Yeah, just, I mean, we have mentioned the cast, but the who Fincher got on board, and that's a testament to Fincher's ability as well. Not just because he can get a good cast, but, you know, these people want to work with him. And the fact that Brad Pitt may have come back to work with him, he's a recurring Fincherite. And Fincher's a magnificent director. So in terms of legacy, it did get people into true crime. It did get people interested in this case to the fact that I think they reopened it or it, um, to or they re, they reinvestigated it based on not because of the film but because of the because of the film the highlight that the the spotlight sorry that the film shone on the case that Robert Gray exactly. Smith worked in. So it did actually have that. I mean uh, June Bong June Ho Bong the magnificent South Korean director uh, who did um Oxia, um Snowpiercer and the this year's incredible Parasite. He's called this a masterpiece, and that and anything, any kind of word of praise coming from that dude is high praise. And we're sitting here trying to say we're not, we're trying to pick faults in it, but struggling somewhat. In terms of David Fincher's catalogue, you've mentioned things like Seven and all that. Is this his best film, or do you do, do you prefer some of the other ones he's done? No, I think this is definitely my favorite of his for sure. That's fair enough. It's, this is, I think, it's go. This kind of fights with Seven. Between the two of them, butt heads because this has got that true crime element, but like the actual true crime, it can't. It may even take the nod, but then Seven is so powerful that it Seven has the moments in it, those moments which just, you know, shock you to the core. And this film just grabbed my attention and never let go. It's a, again, it's a testament to how to Fincher's ability as a director. It did actually receive a two disc bonus edition release in two thousand and eight. We just got Fincher's three-hour-plus director's cut. I haven't seen that, but I would very much like to see that. Three hours of Zodiac. You up for that? Yeah, actually, I would love to check that out. I, I haven't seen it. I'd very much like to. Now I'm interested in checking it out. But um, And it's obviously got all of his documentaries and how, how the film was made and all of that good stuff as well. So, yeah, there's a two-disc edition out there, guys. Go and check it out. Um, we also asked you guys out there as well on the social media, on the social medias, Twitter's, Instagram, all of those good places. We asked uh, you guys what you thought, uh, and we kind of handpicked a few answers out of the out of the out of the responses we got, just to show the kind of different answers we got. So the first one we got was from a guy I know quite well. He's called Sean Hudson. He may or may not be my brother. He is my brother. He said, "Oh my god, freaking amazing film! Long. I'm shouting because I love it." Ruffalo, Iron Man, Gyllenhaal, The Avengers Were Assembled, Beautiful Film, Incredible Skipped, Skipped, Script, Fantastic Story Well Told, Great Score, Incredible Cast, <gasps> one of my go-to films in my top five of all time. Do you think Sean is mental? or Because uh, 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 I think a lot of what he's saying we've just covered. No, that's, that is, I feel it, um, maybe not quite as high on my list of all, all time, but definitely one of my absolute favorites, and I'm so glad he loves it, because that just, yeah, that's one of the best, I, I think it's a great choice, and it has, it shows good taste there, Sean. Yeah, he's got some things going for him as well, he's the, he's the older, less attractive brother. We didn't even mention the script either, well, I know you mentioned that it was quite wordy and full of exposition, but do you know what, I don't think that dragged the film down, I thought it, I thought the film worked by being wordy. It's the, rather than kind of being 
more uh, quieter shots of people looking at um, clipboards and uh, and flowcharts and trying to work it out and montages of them going through newspapers. There were some of those, but I think the script was well done for a film which is extremely wordy. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. And yeah, I just, yeah, they, they use great, yeah, I guess tricks i'd say in showing while they're talking showing letters at the same time so you have something visually to look at just really great uh, way they did it all together yep uh, sean thank you uh who did we have next rose oh we have also Stuart bannerman said that it's a really well shot movie keep it to the point and it is i know he said it but it is a really well shot movie some of this some of the cinematography in this is superb and we've mentioned like the visual aesthetic as well it it looks great and again the, the editing is tight there's not a look I'm trying to think in my head here things which didn't work for me and I'm struggling because it's so well done and a lot of that down is how down to how the film was actually assembled and it was Harris Savidas uh, rest in peace good sir who was the cinematographer on this film and it's just a, a very well assembled film for me did he do seven as well uh, I think he might have done actually, which would probably be why okay, the I, film I, looks like Seven. I remember hearing his name in uh, in the commentary, or not the commentary, but the uh, featurette that was with the movie. But yeah, I just I think he did. I think that's how they knew each yeah, other. He was, uh, if he didn't do it, then I think he was on board in Seven somehow. In my head, I think it may have been Darius Condry did Seven. I'm not sure, but I believe that um, Harris would have been on board. But I thought is yeah, and you've mentioned it's a brilliantly shot film as well. But so I'm guessing you're you're going to agree with Stuart. Yeah, I that's one of the best parts of it. I think just with yeah, how they do it to make it um continually tense, the tension just never really leaves. Even in the editorial room, you're always on the edge of your seat, like what clue is about to be, who's figuring out what what is he going to grab? Uh when Jake Gyllenhaal's character runs for a book, I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> and it's just every moment you're just on the edge of your seat, what's happening? Yeah, and obviously trying to look how much hair he's got in his hands as well, it's all too much. The uh, the wonderfully named Ashy Slashy uh, said from Plymouth said it's Fincher's masterpiece in my honest opinion. Ashy Slashy, June Hobong, you're both in the same camp there, calling it a masterpiece, and also also Rose as well. This is oh, it's whether or not do I want to go out on a limb and say this is Fincher's masterpiece. I'm struggling to find things wrong with the film, so I'm starting to lean that way towards it. But I know you think this is it, so. Uh, on that, what do you think? It's thinking? really just a because it's like, it's yeah, just what's your favorite out of the most awesome things? I mean, yeah. Seven has its own social commentary and its own wonderful things that this movie just couldn't do because it's constricted with the reality of what it's in and this being a true story. But I, I, which I actually appreciate more, so I like that's why I would go with this one as my favorite. Yeah, I mean, which one of your kids do you love the most? Like, it's a question you've got to ask yourself. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's oh man, uh. And I've got an ill young Padawan at the minute, so uh, I've been looking after that little chub, uh, Chubney, and uh, she wanted to come and watch Zodiac with me yesterday, and I had to say, no, you are not watching Zodiac <laughs> with me. Yes, I shall put you to bed now, have your medicine. Um, no, yeah, I set seven I love, and again, I'm sorry to make this a kind of comparison podcast. It absolutely isn't meant to be, but it's the obvious comparison. I love that film, but I, I could... I, I've done a show about seven a little while ago with Ashley Burnell, the movie Oracle, shout out to that legend. And we picked out a few things which we weren't entirely sure on. Whereas I'm struggling here. Rose is struggling here. So by default, does that mean that I prefer this film? 
possibly. But there's something about seven which draws me every time. But Ashley Slashley, no, I'm uh, all up on that, uh, Ashley. So thank you very much for that. All right, and then we have from the other uh, end of the spectrum, we have Trevor Paselli's view, which is super boring, <laughs> way too long, and with horrible dialogue. Not to mention the lakeside murder scene was nothing but unintentionally funny. So that's a, that was a bit harsh commentary on that one. No, say, say it like you mean. Say it like you think it, uh, Trevor. Hi. So you've everything we've said, you're reading that out now. What's coming into your head? I know you don't agree with it. It's funny because he especially mentions the lakeside murder scene, which I definitely recommend on YouTube. The the featurette from this movie is available for free on there. And they they show how Lake he, – he takes you to Lake Berrios and he says, I used to come here as a kid and it's really changed. Um, the land has eroded a bit. So they, they brought in oak trees and put them where they used to be. And uh, he was he walked around and he noticed that he's like, that's not where the, the murder happened. He would have had to have walked this way. And the police officer who was there from Vallejo had come out to help them was like, uh, oops, you're right. That is actually <laughs> wrong. So like, he's like, David Fincher is like a genius criminologist. Is anything so he anyway, can't do. And they, they they put in these oak trees. They put in the grass, just how it used to be. And I just thought his attention to detail was incredible. Oh, and then he had the actual the guy who survived that um, was a consultant on the film. And so they asked him. Uh, well, he was saying I I was I was going to shoot it from your point of view that you're looking at your girlfriend on your chest. And he's like, well, actually, when I think about it, I feel like I'm ten feet away. And David Fincher was just saying it's really interesting how he kind of disassociated with that moment in his life so he could kind of process it and get through it. But it's just, uh, when you kind of dig into it, you kind of see that, I mean, the guy who was there was consulting. So I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I, maybe it turned out, um, because the, as a sociologist or whatever, or he was, a he was studying sociology. <laughs> and so he kind of tried to talk to the killer, but that is something I promised you I would be doing. Like I'd be talking nonstop, like, Hey, I have, you know, like make me human. Let me help you as much as I can. I want to, I want to help you, sir. So I, I totally felt it in that moment. No, I, if I had, if he didn't have a gun, I'd be talking with my legs. I'd be running. <laughs> I'd be off. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I, that must've been, for want of a better word, that must have been horrifying for the the victim to have to go back to the scene and recreate it and say, actually, no, that didn't happen. Actually, no, he tied me up this way. No, he stabbed me here. And then have to kind of watch that scene play out with actors. Obviously, he'd uh, agreed to do it. So there's that element of responsibility. But just imagine being in that position of obviously having that horrifying event happen to you and then recreating it and being like an expert on it for a film that must be i mean it's bending my head thinking about it now but i i can't imagine having to do that yeah that idea yeah, i find and i hope i hope it was sort of a kind of a healing thing where you're kind of getting your your power over the situation back where you are now saying okay i've survived this and i'm gonna put this out there because i want the truth to be known i want whoever it was to be caught or i want yeah the people to focus on like the living and and what happened and yeah so i don't know i think i hope i hope it was a good thing for him yeah rose if you haven't guessed is a very positive person she'll always hope for the best for everyone but no i i agree and obviously trevor is totally entitled to his own opinion and it's good to get it's sort of good to get the flip side of these opinions to show that obviously the whole world doesn't think this film is great and there's nothing wrong with not liking the film as long as you can back up or give us give a reason what not us but give a reason why you didn't like the film then that's not. There's no issue with that as well. Um, I know that the scene with the cabbie who was shot on Washington and Maple Street, I think, the that, that was 
I think it was that one or um but the residents wouldn't allow the scene to be reconstructed, recreated on their street. Oh, okay. They didn't want a murder, basically, to be recreated. <laughs> they get people, tourists coming to there to take pictures and whatnot. Exactly. Maybe they even change the name. Yeah. Like, this time I can understand the residents put, um, putting up a block for that. But they did, they did that all on a soundstage and used some green screen in the background to recreate that scene. But again, watching the scene without that knowledge... I didn't think that looks like a green screen. Now I imagine. No, probably... I didn't know that was true. No, I thought yeah. it was just right there. <laughs> That's it. I imagine it's easier to have a green screen effect when in the background is the night time, basically, because you've only got to like, have a, like in the background a couple of cars going by. I say only as if it's an easy job. Of course it's not. But I imagine it's easier to make that look more authentic than if it was a daytime scene or or, or you know a visual effects laden scene. So, but I never noticed it. I never really knew, and I never knew that there was a, a sound a sound set as well. So, another little, so another one of those interesting little facts that comes up. But um, yeah, as for Trevor's point, though, totally entitled to it. I, I do you agree with that? You, you're entitled to what you think. Yeah, and it's long. It is long, and um, I I think it's just the boring part just comes from your personal taste. Honestly, if this if this kind of story isn't really for you, then I can totally see it not being something you'd want to stick with. It just if, but if it catches your attention and this is something you kind of get excited about or that what well, I'm excited about murder, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the the investigation I I, I identify. I don't identify the murder. I identify with the people trying to solve these cases. So I think that is an interesting thing that there are real people doing this, and I think it's an interesting thing to look at these cold cases and see how they were solved or how they were looked at. Yeah, again, this is personal preference. So thank you, Trevor, for sending in your thoughts. And on a similar vein, we have Mohammed El Sayed simply said, I find it boring. So again, you know, to the point, nice and blunt, um, like a, like a uh, murderer weapon, nice and blunt. I think no, it's fa- that's fair enough. We've mentioned it's quite long. Um, Sean Hudson in his message said, you know, it's he loved the film. But did also point out that it's long. We've mentioned that it's a long film. There is there is a three hour plus cut that um, that exists out there. But a long film doesn't for, again not to disparage your point, Mohammed. A long film doesn't always mean a bad film. People love Avengers Endgame, and that's three hours plus long. People love Titanic. You know, two films which are in the top three grossing films of all time are three hours plus films. Um, I'm not sure on Avatar. I can't remember how long that is, but I don't think it's over three hours. It may or may not be. I don't remember. But a long film doesn't always make bad. But on, on your point, again, to play devil's advocate, I can see why people might see it's boring. Because once you get the sort of like the back, the crash band wallop of the first act out of the way, where you've got the first half, where you've got the murders, where you've got like a charismatic character like Paul Avery on screen who demands your attention. When that goes. The movie does take a, a slower approach, but again, I, for me, it was still filled with some of those fabulous moments, but I, I can see where he's coming from, and again, without meaning to flog a dead horse, you know, Mohammed said he finds it boring. Can you kind of empathise and see where he's coming from? Yeah, I guess, yeah, again, it just it feels like yeah, yeah, like you were saying, I think the second act or the second uh, half of the film definitely slows down, and so I can see um, if you're tired or you're not in the yeah. mood to finish it, like, you could always pause it and come back, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely I understand how people might uh, cut out. Yeah, Avatar, by the way, is 2 hours 42 minutes long, so, you know, th- three of the biggest films of all time are three hours long or near enough, so yeah. film length didn't really come into it. But uh, yeah, again, I, it's, it's fair enough, Mohammed. If people find it boring, you find it boring. So thank you for your thoughts on that. And we got one. We picked up one more as well. 
Oh, yeah, and this is uh, Genevieve Theresa Remy said, anything with Jake Gyllenhaal is worth watching. Yep, shout out to the boss lady. Yes, indeed it is. And Jake Gyllenhaal was excellent in his film. And that's something which a lot of people are probably quite bored of saying. Jake Gyllenhaal is excellent in things like Stronger, in things like Nightcrawler, in this. There's probably a few other... Donnie Darko, there's probably things other things I'm forgetting about here. But Jake Gyllenhaal was excellent in this and... Uh, did you say he was your like, number one performer in this film? Yes, definitely. Yeah, he stood out the most for me. Yeah, I, yeah. And in like Brokeback Mountain and Southpaw. Jake Gyllenhaal is an A-grade actor, and he's one of those ones who somehow doesn't have an Academy Award on his on his mantelpiece. Yeah, I just I love his, I guess, commitment to the role and the way he really embodies the character that he's playing. And yeah, I just always feel from him. Um, yeah, I just, I love his performances. I just think they're brilliant. Yeah, so, um, yeah, any, I, I will watch anything with Jake Gyllenhaal in it because I'm generally assured to get a a good performance from Gyllenhaal, even if the films aren't always the best. Because, I mean, he's done some films which I'm not overly, overly mad on. I mean, recently, uh, Velvet Buzzsaw came out on Netflix. I was really looking forward to that. And I thought the film was a soiled nappy. Didn't like that <laughs> film. In, yeah, I did not like that either. But I loved him, but I didn't like that film. Yeah, I liked how he changed himself up. Ultra loved Ultra or Ultra, how you say it. again? Netflix film, loved that film. I don't know what the hell Jake Boon Jong who Jun Ho got Jake Gyllenhaal to do in that film. He's wild. He's like completely un Gyllenhaal and wasn't the greatest in it for me. Everest, I didn't mind Everest. I thought that was okay, but. For the most part, he's usually one of the best parts of the film. He was recently in Spider-Man Far From Home as Mysterio. Um, I believe you called that, didn't you? Yes. What did you think uh, about uh, him in that? Oh, I loved, yeah. Also, and I'm not a big MCU person, mm-hmm. but I definitely, I thought he was uh, just awesome in that role. And how, yeah, I just, I'm um, trying to think. Yeah, I definitely liked it. Um, it's not, I guess, yeah, that role is like one of my lesser favorites, just because <laughs> in the in the superhero world, it's a, it's like not so. I don't know, it's different, I guess. But I thought he did great for what he was given. I thought it was great. No, and um, you're not an MCU person, but you are you are a Star Wars girl. Would you like to see silly question? Would you like to see Jill and Hall in the galaxy far, far away? Yeah, bring him on over. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, he could do anything. Just don't cover his face in the mask. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> So, but no, uh, Genevieve, thank you so much for your comment and to everybody who who uh, who jumped on board there. So, yeah, Zodiac. So, obviously, if you haven't guessed by now, we both really liked the film Zodiac. Um, we've mentioned the budget and the box office. It didn't do well at the box office in terms of budget. I mean, it's $65 million budget. It only, only made $84, 85000000 million. So, didn't do that well at the box office. Any read? Do you, uh, again, this could be speculation, hyperbole. Um, any reason why do you think that is I know I'm putting you on the spot there but in 2007 why did this film not do better uh, that's a good question I because I, I wasn't in America so I don't know or like the western part of the world so I don't know kind of what marketing was done for it I don't know if it had a good marketing campaign or strategy or what it was and I don't know what it was up against either at that time of year but um, maybe in the 2000s people I don't know if they were just uh, wanted. I don't know what was popular those that year either. But maybe people were just with um, I don't know the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the war on terror going on. Maybe people were just wanting something lighter, or I don't know if that's a reason. But I definitely it's funny because I was just thinking when you were mentioning the budget, these type of movies are the ones that don't get made and put in theaters anymore. I know. 
it's sad. I'm thinking, man, this is a, well, this is an example of what could what we may never get again, or it's going to be on Netflix, I guess. But just the experience of having this in a theater makes me sad that this might not be there. And I, I totally agree because I love the theater experience. I love Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus coming up. Not for the UK though. Um, but I love this. Nothing beats a theater experience being able to sit in a dark room and watch a film like this and get totally drawn in. Uh, in 2007, I did a, I've, uh, I do a show called Movie Astrology with John Burke, the Statesman. Big shout out to that guy. Uh, and 2007 is going to be our next show, so I remember quite uh, well that some of the big films from 2007 were things like um, The Order of the Phoenix came out, um, Spider-Man 3 came out that year, um, The Simpsons movie, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, 300. So in terms of the big films, I mean, there are some films there which are okay, but then, I mean, there were other films like Juno came out, No Country for Old Men, Superbad, Knocked Up, Sweeney Todd, The Assassination of Jesse James, Transformers, I didn't mind Transformers, the first film, The Mist, and those, so there was plenty of Enchanted, so it's, it was a decent year in film, but... Yeah, definitely. I just wonder why a film like this, because it was marketed fairly well, you know, in, in the especially in the San Francisco area, which is quite morbid, but... And again, it's a Fincher film. <laughs> it's a David Fincher film which should get a few bums on seats, and it had a good cast in it. I don't know. Maybe it was the runtime. I don't know. Like I say, maybe it was the idea. People just, yeah, that's true. People just didn't want to go and see a darker film. Maybe they wanted to go and see something like Spider-Man 3 and see Peter Parker doing his silly dancing. Go and watch Transformers. You know, just robots beating the hell out of each other and stuff like that. You know, but then again, No Country for Old Men won the Oscar, and that wasn't the most... Uh, that wasn't the happiest film of all time, but... I know that. I don't think that made huge money either, despite the fact that it was nominated as the best as the best film of of the year. In fact, actually, I think that did actually do quite well. Actually, I think it did a lot better than Zodiac, which again, yeah, makes me. That's a Coen Brothers film, which aren't always the most mainstream films. Yet Zodiac, you'd think, would be appeal to the more mainstream. Okay, put it simply: if Zodiac came out this year, same cast, obviously. I mean, the cast now would be, you know, these guys have gone on to do so much. Same cast, same director, exactly the same film, same runtime. If it if it's coming out this weekend, is it going to do better, do you think? Ooh, with the current situation, I, I'm thinking no. I think it's either, yeah, the same or worse. I think, yeah, I don't I don't know. May, um, this weekend, yeah, I don't know. I just... People, people are funny these days. I don't. I think they're gonna say, okay, there's no big action sequences. I might just wait for this one. That's true. Okay, would you rather go and see Downton Abbey or Zodiac? Oh, ugh, yeah, um, Zodiac. <laughs> 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 Sorry, to all you Downton fans. No, I was in it until he killed off some one of my. I won't even spoil it because maybe you haven't seen it. But this is the character dies in a car crash. I was not happy. God damn it! it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the film, but I've never seen the show. There's a, there's something for you there. How, oh, that's an interesting experience. It was. <laughs> Does it hold up on its own, just out of curiosity? It was okay, actually, but I'm sitting there thinking, who are you? What the hell are you on about? <laughs> just drink the tea, and, you know, tea's nice. Rose drinks tea without milk, because that's how they do it in Ukraine. I drink tea with milk, but that's, let's not have a fight about it. <laughs> this is me during Infinity War. I had seen four of the movies before I went into that. That was a fun one. <laughs> oh, Christ, yeah. I mean, yeah. people say... It was actually pretty easy to it was pretty easy to figure out what was happening, so I was okay. That's fair, because people say, oh, well, oh, if you're going to go and see Infinity War, why should I have to go and see the other 20 films? Well, I don't know, it's part of one long story, so maybe it would help. But that's why when people would say it shouldn't be an issue. 
But I watched Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. So many action sequences. That, yeah, you just you honestly didn't need too much exposition. It was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, that's Spider-Man. He's beating people up. Uh, uh, and speaking of which, I saw Spider-Man: Homecoming without being overly clued up on the MCU at the time. I, I watched them, but I'm not a huge fan. I like them. And I was thinking, Junior, what the hell's going on? Uh, and the person I watched it with was also like, "What's going on? Why is Spider-Man? Why is this Iron Man dude here?" And I was explaining why, but why is he there? What's this Avengers lock? This is Spider-Man. Why am I meant to be watching a Spider-Man film? What's all this other stuff coming along with it? Yeah, exactly. So, uh... And I kept wondering, like, what happened to New York? I, I had seen the Avengers, but they are cleaning up New York. I'm like, I don't remember anything that well, yeah. <laughs> so I'm in trouble. Yeah. Ugh. So, I mean, you could go into... I think... I don't know. I think Zodiac would do better now, but only... Not only, but I think based on the cast... Obviously, my... Oh, yeah. Okay, now, okay, that's true. If you think you're like, I'm starring the MCU. Yeah, if you're basically <laughs> like from the MCU, Downey Jr., Gillian Hall, and especially Mark Ruffalo as well. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. It would make more today. <laughs> I don't know how much more, but I think based on those guys alone, obviously Robert Downey Jr. is branching out They'd now. Like, man's back. Let's go, guys. Yeah. Iron Man's back, and now he's solving crimes again. I don't know. I think it, <laughs> it would do better. I still don't think it would be a, a huge blockbuster smash. But things like Zodiac aren't built to be blockbuster smashes to make a billion bucks. And a film shouldn't be... I don't think a film should always be marked down for its box office. I don't think. Well, yeah. I, thought the, I, think the, I don't know. I think the critical success here like, had to have felt good to these guys who made it. I think that, uh, yeah, I just... I'm, and, and the response of people, like, even who have seen it, has a high rating on, um, yeah, everywhere it's listed, I believe. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it definitely had a great response. Oh, the critics loved it. Critics loved it and most people I speak to like it and obviously we've got those who say they don't which is cool so most people seem to really enjoy this film and um, I that is that's what I would see as well as a greater sign a barometer of successes how it was received by by the critics because I like those guys I am one of them and by the and by the wider audience as well the people who've got no reason to re- review a film they've got no you know no need to no stakes in it people just want to go and have a good time man so you get films like Martin Scorsese's Silence man did that film not do well it's three and a something hours long it's a wonderful film and it got a lot of critical praise but it didn't make any money does that mean it's a bad film no I mean there's, there's films going to be coming out this year I would say Joker when I, when I initially spoke about that film at the beginning of the year because it's on my anticipated list I wouldn't have said Joker's going to make a lot of money. It's probably going to be a good film, I would have said. But it's not going to make any money. Now, it's forecast to make a ton of money. Um, but then you've got something like The Rise of Skywalker. I know we digress here, but... If that doesn't make a lot of money, that is going to be seen as a, as a failure, regardless of whether yeah, people yeah. say it's great. And that's what, I think that's a sign of the times, too, of where we're at with movies and just uh, these big spectacle films are expected to do that because that's what they're main like they're they're the event films so if your event film is not an event you've got a situation exactly and zodiac isn't an event film it's kind of like a niche type film because like you said this isn't going to appeal to everybody these kind of films and that's just the way film is film is subjective but again with the rise of true crime maybe that would have helped this film now maybe this film just came out a few years too early yeah that's true i didn't think about it like that but that that's true as well yeah either way I'm glad it came out at all so before we before we wrap up any of this um, shindig Sean said it's in his top 5 I'm doing a show now where it's I'm listing it as one of my favourite films 
of all time. Beware that this list is going to be about over 200 films long. So this retrospective ain't going away anytime soon. But so in terms of, I don't mean you to rank it or give me a specific number, but would you say this is in the kind of like the upper echelons of your favourite films of all time? Or is it just, you know, comfortably one of the best you've seen? No, I'd put it at top 50, I'd say for sure. Well, wow. Yeah. Um, right. Well, you're on the show now. Before we go, what are some, what, what, what would you put as your, if you can put a number on them, we're going to put as your, like your top three favourite films of all time. Oh, you want to know my top three? Yeah, even even if it's just in no particular order. What would you kind of? What's the three of the films which you just could not live without, and it can't involve Star Wars? <laughs> well, they're not. So, <laughs> no offense, Star Wars. I love no, you, but yeah. my favorite is probably. Well, I have my personal favorite, which is heavily based on nostalgia, childhood, family, which would be The Sound of Music. That's yes. probably my favorite film of all time. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's the best film of all time, but it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, another one that I that what I actually might consider the best film of all time, I would say Schindler's List, and that's just oh. that's just like the pinnacle of what I think a great movie Speaking can be. Of happy films. Oh yeah, exactly. Brilliant film. <laughs> oh Schindler's List. Oh man, but a third one that okay. Now you put me on the spot. Um, what else <laughs> would be up there? I'll go with um another journalism movie i'll put all the president's men up there that's one of my favorites so i'll go with that that is a fantastic i really like all the president that's not a bad top three at all is it though to be fair sounding music schindler's list all the president's men and that's what again that's what i love about film this is what retrospective is going to be about as well some of the films i'm going to be talking about some people might think that is a load of crap i almost swore then that's a load of rubbish but (laughs) i like these films for whatever reason i like them that's why they're on my list because i like them same as like we've mentioned with the sound of music, which is why I say that. It's what it means to you. There might be people out there thinking, I don't like that film. <laughs> you know, as the musicals aren't for everyone. No, we'll put that I, I don't mind the sound of music. It's not one of my favourites, but I don't mind it. I can totally accept why it would be on anybody else's um, best of. And also, especially when it's brought, when you mention it's because of the nostalgia and all of that. No, it's nobody's place to say a film shouldn't be on anybody's list, but that is the beauty of film for me and why I love film so much is that for any reason, any movie could be your favourite film, and I love that. Yeah, me too. It's a very subjective, and it's not... There's no preset you have to have hit these 10 things to make it this is this makes it the best film ever it has to do this this and that. it's really it's it's how it touches you and what you find in it and I, I love that too about movies that and that that allows me personally to see so many different types of genres because it allows me to connect with so many different types of things and and to find I'm not a big horror person but there are horror movies that I can I can connect with and I love and I can do the same with action or um yeah if comedy is it's it's cool that movies are like that yeah and there's somebody out there now maybe listening to this show whose favorite film was hitch or attack of the clones or something like that and that's why film is is great because anyone can love what they want people may tell you you're wrong but screw them because you are not you can like whatever you like and again some of the films on this list of recurring shows i'm going to be doing are not going to be for everybody either they're going to be too crap or um too too violent or too horrific or too musically or you know unfunny but they work for me and that's why i fully fully jive with what you're saying about the sound of music so that's not a bad list as well at all so actually before we go because i love talking about film a couple more of your favorite films before we go oh um okay let me think (laughs) (laughs) sorry um no um man i 
it's funny i have uh, okay let me think i get sometimes how i go through films are i'll get on an actor and i'll watch their entire filmography <laughs> i'll fall in love with jake Gyllenhaal, and then i'll go watch every single movie he's ever been in um oh there's a J- joseph gordon levitt is mm-hmm. another one of those people that just hits me and i just i find his work so powerful and one of his most powerful is this small movie called mysterious skin mm-hmm. and it's such a disturbing movie, um, which it sounds like the Joker that's coming out may also be very disturbing. I'm yes. kind of questioning myself if I'm going to see it, but it's the same look. This is a um, about two young boys who are sexually abused by their baseball coach and what it does to them after that. And it's just he's such a raw character. And it, as he grows older, he's looking for that first feeling of love that he got from well, love in quotation marks from his coach. And it's just where he searches for it in all the wrong places and how it messes up his life. And I just think a lot of like just a lot of uh, sexual abuse victims have said it's such a real portrayal of what you go through and that um, how it messes with your brain as a child and what happens to you. It's just it's just it's amazing how little movie movies can like touch on these really deep subjects and really horrific events and yet somehow make them us of me who has not experienced that like able to better understand people who have and so i really appreciate a movie that can do that so that's another one mysterious skin definitely a very hard watch but a very powerful watch yeah if you haven't seen that film guys check it out and uh maybe have have a word of rose afterwards and chat about it because it's a it's a deep film it's a weighty film but it's not it's one where like all film but you're going to have to sit down and watch it and you'll be engrossed by it. It's not the easiest watch, however, but it's a really good film. Joseph, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a great show as well. I love some of his, like Looper as well. And uh, hey, even The Last Jedi as well. Let's get that in there. But um, so what else? You've got Joseph Gordon. What about um, who were, oh, sorry, any other actors which you just die to watch? Oh, who else do I get on a kick sometimes? <laughs> Let me think. I'm trying to stay away from the pop. Oh, I know another. Here's a, just another one that I really liked. It was an independent or a smaller film by Sofia Coppola, yep. the daughter of uh, Francis Coppola. Yeah, yep. Ford Coppola. And she did a movie called Somewhere. And it is about an actor and who has a daughter. So it was kind of uh, kind of a look at not not exactly mirroring her own life with her famous father, but kind of that feeling of someone from Hollywood who's got um, a, is divorced and um, has to take care of his I think 13 year old daughter and kind of how this egocentrical person who has so much money, he doesn't know what to do with himself. I just thought that was a really good look at. Um, so I love these character studies. I really, I, I appreciate a movie that can do a character study. I haven't seen that film, but I, it's on my list because I spoke about it with John Burke before that is absolutely on my list. Cause I've heard nothing but good things about that. So uh, Rose, you may have tipped me over the edge to actually go and watch that film now, but um yeah, as soon as I do, I'll, I'll hit you up. We could chat some some way. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because I I just yeah I find I'm always interested to hear people when they see movies that I haven't seen or to more independent films. I just think they're yeah just amazing to hear different um, genres that I'm not usually aware of. Yeah, and independent films usually are the best films. Let's just say that right now when they don't make any money. So uh, support independent films, original films. Go see them. But we've spoken about Zodiac. We both love it. We hope you guys love it as well. And if you don't, then obviously let us know why. But for this show, sorry, that is that for this second episode of Retrospectives. Uh, We've been talking about Zodiac with Rose, all Iranian Rose, all the way from Ukraine. So thank you so much for coming on tonight, Rose, and giving your time. Oh, this has been a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Not to worry whatsoever. Always up for some of this. Um, In the meantime, if people want to talk to you about any of the films we've spoken about, Zodiac somewhere, or any of the other ones, where can I find you in line? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both at Alderanian Rose. 
And so that's where I am. Mostly, if you follow me, you're going to get Star Wars, so be warned, because <laughs> <laughs> that's my uh, my lane. But I'm definitely excited to talk about any film, so you can always hit me up for sure. Yep, and I recommend you do, Star Wars fan or not, just for some damn fine hot takes, uh, which are always well uh, described as well, very descriptive. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find us at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Uh, across the socials of what I watched tonight or by listening to this podcast in your ears right now. Uh, you'll find the show on any podcast platform as well. So, again, thank you so much, Rose. Thank you to you guys out there for listening and supporting the show. It means the world. And sadly, until next time, see ya. <laughs>